Okay, the children can come forward this time. We'll have the children's meeting first. You can sit up here on the floor again. Good evening, boys and girls. Uh, we uh, this evening, uh, I want to tell you a story that we find in Luke chapter 17, and it's the story of ten, uh, Jesus and the ten lepers. Uh, now, do you know what le a, a leper is? Anybody know what a leper is? What is it? Okay, it's they get sick with leprosy, and a person that has leprosy uh, is called a leper. Now, leprosy was a very terrible disease in Jesus' time, and it is today if it's not treated properly. Uh, if you get leprosy uh, and it's not treated, you begin to lose. Uh, feeling in your fingers and your toes and then after a while it moves up to your hand and after a while it moves further up uh, and probably you just don't have any feeling and so then the problem comes up that uh, if you don't get any feel if you don't have any feeling there when you're hurt it doesn't hurt so you get your fingers smashed. Uh, it doesn't hurt. You don't take care of it. And then it gets infected. And then you get sick. And if it's not treated, you can eventually die. Uh, so it, it was a terrible disease. Uh, in the Bible times, when somebody got leprosy, uh, they were no longer allowed to live with their family. Uh, because then everybody would get the disease. The people who had leprosy, the lepers, uh, would go and live with other people who had disease or other lepers. Uh, they were not allowed to get close to people that did not have leprosy. And when they walked down the street and somebody approached them, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. And everybody knew to stay away from them. In Luke chapter 17 there, we find Jesus uh, entering a village and ten lepers met him. They saw Jesus come, coming. I'm sure they didn't get real close to him, but they stood, it says they stood a long way off and yelled, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus heard them, he knew right away what, because he knew they were lepers. He could see that. Uh, he knew what they wanted. And so uh, he answered them, Go show yourselves to the priests. Uh, now, in the Old Testament, uh, 
sometimes somebody would get over the leprosy. But they couldn't go home to their families right away until they went to the priest and the priest pronounced them clean. He would, he would check them out real closely and do some, do some tests and whatnot. Uh, and when he decided they were clean, then they could go back to their, to their, uh, to their families. That's why Jesus said, go show yourself to, to the priest. And to, these, to the credit of these lepers, it said they turned around and headed for the priest. And while they were going, not right away, while they were going, they were healed. And one of them turned around and went back to Jesus and fell down and thanked him, it says, with a loud voice uh, for healing him. And then Jesus asked, weren't there ten men that had leprosy? Uh, weren't there ten men who were clean, cleansed? Where are the other nine? Uh, nine of those men that had leprosy had to live all by themselves, weren't allowed to get close to other people, were cleansed, and never even went back to thank Jesus. First Corinthians, uh, Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul gives us some very important instructions on how he wants us to live. I'm going to turn to it just uh, briefly here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, or love, which is the bond of per perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you also are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Uh, he gives us some important instructions there on how he wants his people to live with each other. Uh, he said, be kind, have a heart of kindness, care for other people, be forgiving. Uh, be willing to get along with other people. Forgive when somebody hurts you. And love everyone. But then he closes with an important saying, and be thankful. Uh, being thankful is something that most parents uh, try to teach their children because uh, it makes life a whole lot more enjoyable when we have an attitude of thankfulness rather than being greedy or uh, selfish, envious of what other people have. Have you ever tried to be nice to somebody and uh, maybe you gave them something and they just took it 
and turned around and walked away without saying anything. Doesn't make you feel very good, does it? Doesn't make you even like the people. It just uh, Jesus taught us the golden rule. And as ye would that men should do unto you, as you would like people to do to you, do to them also. That means if we want people to treat us nice, then we need to be nice to others. And also say thank you when, uh, when they're nice to us. Do something nice for us. Do you know the song, I Thank the Lord My Maker? I'll ask everybody to join us. Let's sing, sing that song. Good evening to the rest of you. Glad to see each one present. I trust that as we're together, uh, we're encouraged and uh, strengthened in our walk with the Lord. Revival is designed to renew our commitment to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. These two uh, commands are embodied in the doctrines of separation and nonconformity and non-resistance. We separate ourselves from the world because we love God. We practice non-resistance toward evil because we're commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, these two doctrines have been called the twin pillars of Anabaptist faith and practice. This evening I would like to review the doctrine of separation and nonconformity because it's easy for us to allow this doctrine to become tradition. And as such, uh, it just becomes the way we do things and we lose sight of why. In the opening here, I want to lay the foundation, the scriptural foundation for this doctrine. I'm going to look at about five uh, passages. Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, I'm going to begin reading at verse 9. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so 
have I also sent them into the world. This passage establishes our relationship with God and with his son, Jesus. He says, Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. It is Jesus' desire that his people would be one as he and God are one. It also establishes our relationship uh, between our relationship with the world around us. Uh, he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. It's not a matter of, uh, Father, I, I want them to learn how to be of the world. He says, they are not of the world. And so, that's something that we need to keep in mind. We are not of the world. Now let's go to 1 Peter 2, 5 to 9. First Peter 2, starting at verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which be the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a chosen generation. God chose the church. Uh, we have, we are a royal priesthood. Uh, a priest stands between God and man. We're royal. We are uh, of the the Lord of the universe. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Uh, holy is that which is right and good. Uh, a peculiar people, separate from others, for a purpose. For the purpose of showing forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For the purpose of showing forth his praises, the praises of him who has called us out of darkness. Let's go to Roman, Romans chapter 12. A very familiar passage, the first two verses. Uh, I hope you have these memorized. But we read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're shifting gears here a bit. In the first two passages, God was at work. He was calling. He was separating. He was making his people a separate uh, nation. Uh, here he calls us to get involved. He said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. Be not conformed to this world. We are called to get involved in this uh, separation. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Probably the, the passage that uh, we think of most often when we think of this. This is separation made practical. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. Uh, and now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The reason for this is because of the understood answer to that series of questions. You know, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And on and on. Uh, what fellowship with right, uh, righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Those questions were never answered because they're understood. We don't do that. Uh, because <coughs> there, is, there is no agreement. We have a special relationship with God. Therefore, we are to come out from the world around us and separate ourselves from that which is unclean. We then have the promise that he will receive us and will be a father unto us and we will be his sons and daughters, a family. What a blessed thought. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 starting at verse 8 to verse 12. But ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. We have been changed. We were sometimes darkness. 
but now we are light in the Lord. Now we're to act like it. Uh, we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, we are to reprove those works. Now as I look at these passages, I get several impressions, two impressions I want to speak of. First is, we are to be separate because of who he is and what he has done for us. We are to be separate because of who he is and what he has done for us. My second impression is our response to who he is and what he has done will affect who we are and how we live. It will affect us. We're going to be looking at some of these passages more in depth later in the message. But this doctrine was first established in the Old Testament. God called the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the events of the Exodus and their journey into the wilderness to Mount Sinai, God welded them together into a new nation, a new people. To do that, first of all, he established his claim on their lives by delivering them out of the bondage of Egypt. And then he proceeded to separate them from the nations around them by giving them new ceremonies, new laws. Uh, I'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 19. And uh, look at, at some of what God was saying to the children of Israel. In, the, in this process of separating them. Exodus 19, verse 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. He says, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You remember, they were in, in slavery for 400 years. Uh, it was, they were desperate. They cried out to God. God sent Moses. And uh, we know the story of the ten plagues. Each one got a little bit more hor uh, horrible. Uh, and we don't know exactly how much time was involved, but this was, this was weeks and months, and the tension was getting greater and greater and greater. Uh, then we have the Passover and the, uh, the death angel coming over and killing all the firstborn of, uh, of Egypt and uh, them casting them out of Egypt and then their journey through the wilderness to the Red Sea and then how God so marvelously uh, re freed them from the Egyptian army there in the Red Sea. Uh, they were his people. 
He had done amazing things. Now he says, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Again, priest, a kingdom are those that stand between, that represent God to the world around. They were to be a holy nation. In Leviticus 19, uh, he called them to be holy because he is holy. Not as he is holy, but they were to be holy as he is holy. He also defined what that holiness was to look like. Exodus 20, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And in this way, he defined what holiness was to look like. He also gave them the ceremonial law that outlines how they were to worship him. And these were all designed to separate them from the nations around them. They worshiped the true God. Uh, and they were to keep themselves only unto him. All of that was done uh, to remind them of who they were. They were God's chosen people. Uh, they were of kingdom, uh, a kingdom of priests. They were to be a holy nation. This extended even to how they were to be clothed. You remember in Numbers 15, God gave the instruction that they were to have a fringe on their garment. Uh, they were a separate people. From these passages, I'd like to emphasize the purpose, I believe, for the doctrine of separation and nonconformity. First of all, it is for identification with God. Uh, by separating ourselves from that which is of the world, we are publicly identifying ourselves with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. We understand that holiness, as defined for man, is moral excellence. Uh, but how do we, how do we define uh, holiness for God? It is separate from all others. Uh, and when the, uh, to be more, to be holy, uh, to be moral people uh, is to be after the character of God, right and good. The only, the only satisfactory explanation I've ever heard of uh, the holiness of God it is, is that he is separate from all others. There is none like him. He is perfect in all of his ways. Uh, by choosing to obey him and his commands, we are identifying with him. We are loving him. Secondly, then, the practice of separation is a constant reminder to ourselves of who we are identifying with. Uh, and for an illustration, do you remember the story of Achan? Uh, there at Jericho. Did you ever wonder why that Babylonish garment caught Achan's eye? Uh, it was the first thing he mentioned 
when Moses said, what have you done? He mentions that thing first. Now, why were, those, why were the Israelites supposed to wear the fringes on their garments? The express purpose in, in Romans uh, numbers there uh, was to remind them of all of the commandments of God that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So the, uh, the purpose of those fringes was to remind them of the commands of God. Now, when they were on, in their own land and everyone wore a fringe on their garments, uh, it was one thing. But when they traveled to other nations, it was an entirely different thing. It immediately identified them as uh, citizens of a different kingdom. It identified them as an Israelite. They were different. Everyone knew it at first glance. And that's fine as long as you're living uh, according to God's commands. But what if you're trying to blend in with, uh, blend into the crowd in order to follow their ungodly practices? You didn't want to change clothes. Uh, you didn't want that. Uh, the, the, the purpose was to remind them of who they were. The entire ceremonial law was designed to remind them of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. But it was also to remind them of whose they were. They were God's people. As we move into the New Testament, we find that Jesus takes this matter of separation to a new level. The very, you know, in the, the great Sermon on the Mount, uh, the very first message of, well, it was pre even previous to that, the first message of Jesus was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles understood that to mean the restored kingdom of Israel. But Jesus was speaking of something much greater. He was referring to a kingdom that is in marked contrast to the kingdom of this world. It is a kingdom where God rules exclusively. The laws of this kingdom supersede anything that this world has to offer. You'll remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said time and time again, ye have heard it was said by them of old time, but I say unto you. Uh, and he raised the, uh, the standard of holiness. The matter of separating, this matter of separating ourselves unto God not only affects our actions, it affects the way we think as well. The gospel creates culture. Culture is merely the way we do things. There, there, uh, there's nothing right or wrong about culture. When you do things the same way long enough, it develops into a tradition. And the problem with tradition is that after a while, you forget why you're doing what you're doing. That's why we need to read and study the Word of God uh, on a regular basis so that we keep that connection between our tradition and why we're doing things the way that we do them. 
let's consider this practice of separation and nonconformity for us today, keeping these two purposes in mind, a public identification with Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and a constant reminder to ourselves that we have done so. Now, how do we, how do we make this practical? If we're not careful, it very quickly becomes negative. I can't do this or I can't do that because I'm a Christian. Uh, we must keep in mind at all times the nature of the world that we're living in. The, uh, the enemy of our souls is out to destroy all that's right and good. We must at all times keep in mind that the final end of this world is destruction. Why do we want to identify with it? Uh, but the practice of separation then begins in our hearts and in our minds. It is an expression of our love for God. Uh, it's a practical application of those two principal purposes I identified. It's for the purpose of publicly identifying with God and his kingdom, as well as identifying with God's plan for his people, and then for the purpose of reminding ourselves who we are identifying with. The question we must keep in mind at, in front of ourselves at all times in questions of whether something is appropriate or not is who am I identifying with or who does this identify me with? Who am I identifying with or who does this identify me with? Now, I'd like to go back to 2 Corinthians 6, 14, uh, and consider very carefully what is being said there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, Verse 14 opens with a command. Be ye unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We're looking, talking about the unequal yoke here. Why do you yoke two critters together? It's to pull a heavier, heavy load. Now what is the unequal yoke? Well, I guess picture uh, putting a horse and an oxen under the same yoke. Uh, a horse uh, moves at an entirely different pace than an oxen. It would be a difficult job. It would be very, uh, very trying. An unequal yoke just doesn't work. And those questions, what, what uh, agreement has righteousness and unrighteousness? What communion does light have with darkness? What does a believer have in common with one who denies God's authority? What agreement does Christ have with Satan? Uh, is it possible for a, God, a person to worship an idol and a God at the same time? These questions demand an answer, but the answer is implied. There is no agreement. There is none. Because of that, uh, I'd, I'd like to... I'd like to eliminate those questions uh, 
and just read verse uh, verse 14 opens with be ye unequally yoked together with unbelievers go down to 16 for ye are the temple of the living God as God has said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for you are the temple of the living God as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. Because of that, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty. Let's consider that phrase, and touch not the unclean thing. Notice in the King James that the, the word thing is in italics. Uh, whenever something is in italics in, in the Bible, it means it was not in the original translation. It was put there by the translators to make it flow better. Uh, <clears throat> In this case, there would probably be a better way to translate it. Other translations read something like this. Touch not that which is unclean. Uh, the unclean thing would seem to indicate one thing, but rather touch not what is unclean. It may be legitimate active, uh, action, action, activity, activity. But if it's tainted with that which is unclean, don't touch it. Uh, consider. Consider music. Uh, God created music. It is right and good. Uh, when it's free from that which would make it unclean, it, is, it brings praise and glory to God. But, you know, we may have perfectly good lyrics, <coughs> good, good words in the lyrics. But when you add the music of rebellion to those lyrics, it becomes unclean. Stay away from it. Don't touch it. The practice of separation will affect our speech. It'll affect our conduct. It'll affect our friendships, our business relationships, our appearance, our recreation. In short, every area of our lives. Let's consider again this unequal yoke. We need to keep in mind here the words of Jesus in Matthew 12. It says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. Our words and our actions reveal what is really inside. Uh, <clears throat> Have you ever found yourself arguing with the Holy Spirit? Do you know what I mean? The Holy Spirit is asking something of you and, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, Lord, nobody else is doing it. And on and on and on. I would like to say, when you get to that place, we better step better, better step back and consider carefully where we are at in our relationship with the Lord. Uh, 
our words, our actions reveal what is really within in our heart. And uh, it also has a way of revealing who we are identifying with. The unequal yoke is something that we need to guard against. You know, we could, we could draw the conclusion that we're just going to stay away from everybody who's an unbeliever. But Paul wrote, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. So, uh, he's not saying don't have anything to do with anybody else. Uh, but the key word is be not unequally yoked together. We yoke two animals together for a purpose. Uh, and we encounter this unequal yoke in those areas of life that involve relationships outside of the church. You know, you, in business, in marriage. Uh, friendships. Now, why why would be, we become yoked with someone else? Well, it happens in business regularly. I'd like to get involved in something, but I don't have enough money to do it. But my partner does. You know, the two of us together, we can probably do it. And so we establish a partnership. Uh, that's fine if the two are agreed, if they're pulling in the same direction. Uh, but what are the potentials of the unequal yoke? Well, what happens when uh, there's the temptation to, uh, to fudge the books a bit? Is my word my bond? Is my partner a man of integrity? Can I depend on what he's saying? Can he depend on me? Uh, what happens when someone takes advantage of me? Or takes advantage of the business that we have? These are all areas of potential conflict, and it will happen sooner or later. It's just the way of life. Our Christian testimony is at stake. That's why Paul wrote, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, we need to be very careful, cautious in our business relationships. Contemporary Christianity uh, does not hold the doctrine of non-resistance. And when we become yoked together with someone who does not hold the same understanding of Scripture, we open ourselves uh, for potential com uh, compromise when conflicts arise, uh, whether between partners or when someone else uh, refuses to pay and the company is threatened. Marriage. What about the unequal yoke in marriage? Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7-9, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. The same questions that we ask about a business relation could and should be asked about a marriage relationship. 
And you know, there's even more serious consequences uh, in the unequal yoke in marriage. Uh, marriage is intended to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. That picture is violated in the unequal yoke. Uh, so it shouldn't be, you know, the concern should not just be are we the same church, but do we have the same values, similar convictions, similar goals and aspirations, similar understanding of the permanence of the marriage relationship. The unequal yoke is a very real possibility in marriage. What about friendships? Uh, we need to develop friendships with unbelievers. That's the way they come to know about God. But we need, uh, <clears throat> we need to have the goal of winning them for Christ. <sighs> A close friend is one that you can let your guard down with. If you're close friend with an unbeliever, when you let your guard down, you're open for, uh, for <clears throat> compromise. In closing, <clears throat> I'd like to read this passage from the English Standard Version. I, I read this for my uh, personal devotions. That reads, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership hath righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial or what has a, a believer in common with an unbeliever or what agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God just as God said I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, saith the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. It's logical. It's for the purpose of publicly identifying ourselves with Christ and his kingdom, and for the, also for the purpose of reminding ourselves that we've done so. It's practical. It's for his glory and our good. It is a, a practical expression of our love for him who first loved us. Tonight, who are you identifying with? Most of us here have grown up with separation being very much a part of our lives. But are we doing it because of our love for God and our desire to identify with him? Or is this just the way we do it? I'm reminded of the letter to the church in Revelation, in Ephesus, Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. When I read down through all of the commendations that, the God, that uh, Jesus had to say to the, the Ephesians there, uh, you think, wow. These people had their ducks lined up. But we learn that they were doing it for the wrong reason. They had left their first love for Jesus and they misplaced their love on the church. 
It may be that you've been arguing with the Holy Spirit and resisting his promptings on this matter. If so, I ask you, who does the act the activity that you're thinking of, who does it identify you with? Uh, or who do you want to identify with? I don't think I'm going to give an invitation tonight, but I, I would like for you to consider very carefully your own life and experience. Who are you identifying with? Uh, we can, it's easy to deceive ourselves, so consider very carefully. Shall we stand for closing prayer?